Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. Habakkuk, this is his cry to God. Oh Lord, how long shall I cry? He's crying out, Lord, look at this. Lord, do something about this. And I think you know, we can probably identify a little bit with him as we look at the state of affairs and they become a burden. And we wonder, Lord, why don't you do something? Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study through the books of the Old Testament prophets. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on the book of Habakkuk. Now here's Pastor Brian. And so here we are in Habakkuk. We had a conversation about just how do you pronounce the name of this prophet? And I was thinking about that. And I thought, okay, with the two Ks, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, I think Habakkuk is probably the proper way to pronounce it. But I'm not an English teacher. The burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? Even cry out to you violence and you will not save. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention arises. Therefore, the law is powerless and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, perverse judgment proceeds. Habakkuk is describing what he's living in the midst of. And Nobody knows anything about Habakkuk. So we don't know his history. We don't even know the actual timing of his prophecy, except it would seem that it was in probably the latter part of Manasseh's reign. Now, if you remember the history of the kings of Judah, one of the greatest kings of Judah was Hezekiah. Just a really great, great king. Had some flaws, made a few mistakes, but apart from that, he was a good, godly king. But his son Manasseh came to the throne after the death of Hezekiah and he was the most wicked king in the history of, the, of Judah. And he reigned for 55 years. And he took, the prophet said concerning him that all of the abominations of the Amorites that caused God to drive them out of the land through Joshua, that Manasseh did all of those things. He brought all of those things in and introduced every imaginable form of idolatry. And it was just a, 
a horrific thing. But there came a point where Manasseh was taken captive to Assyria. And in Assyria, he repented. And the Lord saw his genuine repentance and he was freed and he was able to go back and resume his reign in Jerusalem. But the damage had already been done. And he went back and he tried to make some reforms and things, but the the wickedness was so deeply ingrained into the culture, there wasn't really much that even his attempt at reforms did. And then Manasseh died and his son Ammon picked up where his dad left off before his um, repentance. And so the, the nation is just steeped in sin and in evil. And that's what Habakkuk is describing here in these first four verses. The violence and the plundering and the strife and the fact that there's no justice and the wicked surround the righteous. That's Israel and and probably more specifically, that's Jerusalem at the time. And so this is Habakkuk, this is his cry to God. Oh Lord, how long shall I cry? He's crying out, Lord, look at this. Lord, do something about this. And I think we can probably identify a little bit with him as we look at the state of affairs in our state, maybe, or across the nation or many, many places in the world. We see all of these kinds of things and they become a burden. And we wonder, Lord, why don't you do something? We cry out to the Lord, Lord, you see this. Lord, what are you going to do? So, as he is crying out to the Lord, verse five is God's response to the prophet. And this is what he says. He says, look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded, for I will work a work in your days which you would not believe though it were told you. He's saying, Habakkuk, I'm working and I'm going to work, but it's not the work that you think. It's not the work that you're hoping for is really what this is going to come down to because he goes on and he says, for indeed I am raising up the Chaldeans a bitter and hasty nation which marches through the breadth of the earth to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity proceed from themselves. Their horses also are swifter than leopards and more fierce than evening wolves. Their chargers or their horsemen charge ahead. Their cavalry comes from afar, they fly as the eagle that hastens to eat. They all come for violence. Their faces are set like the east wind. 
They gather captives like sand. They scoff at kings and princes are scorned by them. They deride every stronghold. They heap up earthen mounds and seize it. That is the people that God is raising up. For what? He's raising them up to judge Israel, to judge Judah, to judge Jerusalem. So, so this is not the this is not the answer to prayer that Habakkuk was looking for. This is not what he imagined was going to happen. And God says, I'm going to do something in your day. You wouldn't even believe it if I told you. And he doesn't believe it. It doesn't make any sense. Lord, how, I mean, we're bad. I just, yeah, I just told you how bad we are. But these guys are worse than us. This is the thing that doesn't make sense to the prophet. And he'll say that in a moment. But look at verse 11. It says, he's talking about the Chaldeans. So we're talking about the Babylonians here. We're talking about Nebuchadnezzar. And at this time, the Babylonians had risen now and they had conquered Assyria. Assyria was the, the great empire formerly. And Assyria and Babylon were very close to one another geographically. And power had kind of gone back and forth between them over long centuries And Assyria had been that reigning power for a long time, but now Babylon has risen up. And they have just mowed down the nations around them, and the Lord says they're coming this way. But then it says this, Then his mind changes and he transgresses. He commits offense, ascribing this power to his God. So this is... This happened with the Assyrians, and now he's saying this is happening with the Babylonians. God was using the Assyrians and the Babylonians to bring judgment on nations, but they didn't realize that it was God who had actually allowed them to come to positions of power, and they became proud against him and thought that it was through their own military might and so forth. They thought that they were responsible for their power. That's what he's saying here. He commits offense ascribing this power to his God, failing to recognize that God had raised him up to bring a judgment. They were attributing this to Marduk, uh, to the various gods of the Babylonians. They were boasting against the God of Israel. And so this was the offense of the Babylonians. And and so as we go through this, this prophecy here, we're going to have two things that are being spoken of. We're going to have the judgment that's going to come upon Jerusalem described. We're also going to have the judgment that will eventually come upon Babylon described as well. So it's kind of a twofold judgment that's being pronounced here. But then the prophet goes on in verse 12, speaking to the Lord. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die, O Lord. You have appointed them for judgment. O rock, you have marked them 
for correction. You are of purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. Why do you look on those who deal treacherously and hold your tongue when the wicked devours a person more righteous than he? Why do you make men like fish of the sea, like creeping things that have no ruler over them? They take up all of them with a hook. They catch them in their net and gather them in their dragnet. Therefore, they rejoice and are glad. Therefore, they sacrifice to their net and burn incense to their dragnet because by them, their share is sumptuous and their food plentiful. Shall they therefore empty their net and continue to slay nations without pity? So, the prophet, again, he's crying out, Lord, these are wicked people. And this is what they do. They just, they ensnare people. They destroy people, just like fish are taken in a net and they have no ability to deliver themselves. So no one has an ability to deliver themselves from these Babylonians. That's what uh, Habakkuk is talking about here. And so he's using this language and then he's saying, and the Babylonians just like a fisherman would catch fish with his net and then be proud of his net, so the Babylonians, again, they're boasting in their own strength. As they consume the nations, they are attributing that to themselves and to their gods. So Habakkuk's cry is, Lord, how is it that you're going to bring these wicked people against us. Yes, we're wicked, but they're more wicked. But remember, maybe as we've gone through, perhaps you remember these prophets back in, um, back in one of the prophets that's name just has gone from my brain right now. Um, (laughs) The prophet says this, or the Lord says this through the prophet. He says to the nation, he says, because you alone I have known out of all the families of the earth, I will punish you. So the principle there is that to whom much is given, much is required. So yes, the Babylonians are wicked, but the Babylonians don't know God. They don't know the true God. Judah is wicked, but they're sinning against. uh, They have a knowledge of the true God. So their guilt is greater than that of the Babylonians who do not know God or have not had his word delivered to them or his prophets speak to them or any of that. So that's how it is that God's going to take this seemingly more wicked nation and judge Judah through them. Now, the prophet says, I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. So he prays, God responds, he cries out, I don't get this, this doesn't sound fair, but now he says, I'm going to set myself. And, and what he's talking about here is 
he's going to put himself in a place to listen to the Lord, to hear what God will speak. So he's using language like he's going to go up in his tower. He's probably not going to go up in a tower, but it would be like a watchman going in a tower and watching and waiting. That's what the prophet is going to do. He's going to watch and he's going to wait until God speaks to him so that he can then speak that word. And so here is the word. The word or the Lord answered me and said, write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. So first of all, write this down on a tablet so that the, those who read it can run. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries or though it, it's delayed, wait for it because it will surely come. It will not tarry. So the Lord is saying, this, this vision that I've given you, this, what I'm telling you I'm going to do, it's going to come. So write it down so everybody can see what is coming and, they can, and the word can be spread throughout the land. Write it down. It's going to happen. Even though it delays, it will happen. Now, if this prophecy was given in the latter time of Manasseh's reign, there was still a considerable amount of time before the final judgment came upon Judah. Because after Manasseh, I mentioned that Ammon came to power, but he only reigned two years. And then after him, Josiah came. And we're going to talk about him a little bit more in a minute, but Josiah was perhaps the most righteous of all the kings of Judah. And some amazing things happened under, under his reign. But then once Josiah died, and he reigned for 38 years, and once Josiah died, there was a series of you know, kings that came to power until finally the, the final king, Nebuchadnezzar, came and, and conquered Judah, just like God said. But it, it was you know, a considerable amount of time before all of this was ever actually fulfilled. But the Lord says, even if it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will surely come. And then he says, behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. So God is giving Habakkuk the way he's going to he and any others are going to be able to endure, to persevere, to survive this judgment that's going to come. How are they going to do that? The just shall live by faith. They're going to have to trust God through this time. And now, there's a, a lot to be said about this statement here. Um, but first of all, just we'll just keep it in the context itself. The just shall live by faith. So all of those who are going to go into this season of judgment 
are only going to make it by trusting God. Trusting in themselves, they'll never make it. The proud, his heart is lifted up within him. He is not upright, but the just shall live by faith. So they're going to have to trust God in the midst of all the craziness that is going to come eventually upon them. And let me just say that Judah is not the only nation to ever be judged. There were many nations before it that were judged. There were nations after it that were judged. Um, There are nations that are yet to be judged. And what, what do we do when we find ourselves in a place that is being judged? How do you navigate that? The just shall live by faith. You, you have to trust God. And, you know, it, it's interesting. I think, I've said this before, and I do think that we as a nation, I think we are under a judgment. There are many things that point to us being under a judgment. And you have to understand, of course, that whether it's individual people or groups of people or nations, there's only so much sinning that one can do before a judgment will fall. That's just a a biblical reality. And so as we live in a nation that is not, you know, any longer just sort of passively in unbelief. But now we're at a place where there is an aggressive unbelief. There is a shake your fist to the heavens kind of an attitude that we are seeing in so many places in our uh, public life these days. And I mean, you know, we've seen it. We've seen it recently with, you know, this whole thing. I was gone when it all happened, but the, um, the seeming certainty of the, of the overturning of the Roe versus Wade decision from 1973 that legalized abortion and the fact that, you know, this, this looks like it, it actually might be turned over and put back in the hands of the states instead of the federal government, unfortunate. And I mean, the, the insanity that has broken out over this yeah. to the point of people, you know, it, it used to be, and it wasn't even that long ago where people were still trying to argue that, well, this is a fetus. It's not really a human. And it's, you know, that was kind of the argument. Now it's just like, oh, no, this is a human being, and we're going to kill this human being because we have a right to do it. That's our reproductive right, and we don't care what anybody says about it. February, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled The Imperfect Disciple, Grace for People Who Can't Get Their Act Together by Jared C. Wilson. 
Have you ever resolved to repent from a sin only to be crushed and condemned by defeat later down the road? Or have you ever been hurt to the point that the wounds never just seem to heal, even years later? Well, one of the problems that Jared C. Wilson will help you to recognize is that unhealed wounds are not sin, and sin is not a simple wound from which you need to be healed. Jared C. Wilson shows how discipleship can be messy. This isn't a typical Christian self-help book promising to help you become a better Christian. This is a book about discipleship that puts the gospel front and center to help you sustain ongoing growth in Jesus by the same grace that saved you. In his book, The Imperfect Disciple, Jared C. Wilson will help you experience the grace of God in a practical way that will impact how you live as a Christian. Today is the day to finally learn how to live in the grace of God. Learn today about God's transforming grace. The book, The Imperfect Disciple, Grace for People Who Can't Get Their Act Together by Jared C. Wilson is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Habakkuk. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.